0: Hello and welcome back to Friends of Europe's Frankly Speaking podcast. I'm Paul Taylor, Senior Fellow in Friends of Europe's Peace, Security and Defence Program. And we're delighted to have as our special guest today Hannah Lindenstahl. Uh, Hannah is CEO of Erhart Business Protection Agency, a cybersecurity and data protection consultancy based in Stockholm. Also with us this morning is Chris Cremidas Courtney my fellow senior fellow at Friends of Europe. Well, Hannah and Chris have just published um, an article for Friends of Europe, um, raising the alarm about recent extraordinary but worrying developments in artificial intelligence that they say pose a huge challenge to any hope of protecting uh, individual privacy um, and freedom in the 21st century. Um, So Hannah, let me start with you. Before we get to future developments, um, what are the most concerning developments at present with platforms like TikTok?
1: Thank you, Paul. Uh, well, we, if we start with TikTok, the debate is, is uh, on the table for most countries in the world. Everybody's talking about TikTok and privacy policies. And just we back, go back to the basic, uh, TikTok is a communication app where you share short video clips with each other most of them are connected to different types of challenges. I mean, can you dance this or can you do this or jump like this? And so it's, it's a entertainment app. And if you look at TikTok as an app and you look at the privacy policy, TikTok says that it collects the information you provide in the context of composing, sending, and receiving messages. So that sounds quite logical when you look at it, but TikTok does so much more than that. It's uh, act, actively c- collects your phone's model, your screen resolution, the current operation system you have, your phone number, email address, location, your keystroke patterns, and, and even your contact list. But this is not so, so uncommon when it comes to platform. Most platforms in social media collect a lot of data about their users. There was a debate in 2021 about TikTok that was pretty interesting. was talking about biometric data. Is TikTok gathering biometric data? Well, TikTok is using biometric data, for example, uh, when you do uh, use a filter because you want to look more beautiful or you want to have more eyeshadow or whatever type of filter you're using. Then they use and collect the, the, the data. But according to TikTok itself, they don't store it. Um, but it's still being used. All these data, all the data points that are being gathered from an app can be used for good to pro- pro- provide the, the customer with a better experience to increase the development of the platform. Um, but it can also be used for so much more such as identifying people. So uh, I think it's it's um, a lot to, to gather in, in one. When When I say biometric data, of course, I mean, individual patterns of your experience so you can be recognized.
0: Well Chris, um, when it comes to um, technological developments, which ones concern you the most uh, about disinformation and uh, um, human agency, the freedom to make choices for ourselves?
2: Good morning and thank you Paul and good morning Hanna. I think it's, there's a, a cluster of new technologies that are emerging uh, that are also converging into uh, the possibility for governments and big companies to be able to persistently micro target us and manipulate us. Uh, and I'll unpackage a bit of that. So I think the first thing is that, you know, and we've had this discussion so many times at Friends of Europe and in our tabletop exercises that. You know, there's a rate of technological advance of you know the introduction of mobile phones or the internet that takes a number of years or decades before they sort of unfold in society, and we have time to react to them. We have time to regulate them to figure out how to impact us. the 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 revolutions right now, in particular, in in artificial intelligence and some a few other related uh, disciplines, are coming in the next 12 to 24 months at a rapid rate. I mean, it's it's an avalanche of Change that we are not prepared for. And so I'm going to, you know, let me list a few of those. The first is a recent discovery. We talked about this in our article that, that Hannah and I put out a few weeks ago at Friends of Europe. And that is the ability to identify people by human motion. So your kinetic footprint, the way your body moves, we can do, you know, the ability to detect and say, that's Paul Taylor, that's Hannah Lindnerstall, without you carrying any kind of device. And so that ability for persistent. Um, monitoring and surveillance of people, but more importantly, if you have a large database about that person, you can now micro-target them with, you know, the sign you're walking past, detecting your body's motion print, and saying, "Oh, this is Paul Taylor. Paul, let you know. Paul likes. Uh, Paul's a jazz pianist. Let's let's sell him a piano or whatever it may be." And so this is, you know, this. But it's and, and in many ways, in, in many ways, in it there are this convergence of technologies will provide the ability to create a little miniature Truman show for each individual person. And think about what that means. If we could create a little world around you where you can only see what we, what, what you're shown, you can only, you're only aware of the choices that are placed in front of you. And I think, and that, that is mainly tied to the motion print because detecting your body without any kind of device is one thing. The next one is conversational AI, which feeds into that. Conversational AI is, we're, you know, we're coming to an age in about eighteen months. We are going to talk to our computers, and they are going to talk back. And they they will have they will sound human. They will be authoritative, like in many ways they are now. Uh, and that the the chance for disinformation or even wrong information. I don't know if anyone has used Chat GPT. I use it a lot just to experiment with it. Uh, the latest Chat GPT four is so much more realistic. And ChatGPT 5 is supposed to be coming out at the end of this year, so we're coming to an age where we can't tell what's real from what's not. And ChatGPT makes a lot of mistakes. You ask it about historical information, sometimes you get a crazy answer. So there's there even when there's no manipulation, there's a lot that's wrong. So the the human motion print detecting us, conversational AI, and another thing, another emerging technology is neurotechnology. So the ability to uh, detect human brain waves to Uh, use them in mental health applications. So people with depression and anxiety, can we treat that? So if you can treat someone's brain through neurotechnology, what else can you do to their brain, right? So it's always, there's a light and dark side of all these things. So that's just a, a basic sort of outline of the main things that concern me. And oh, by the way, we still have current platforms like TikTok that are influencing mainly young people, but the broader population. So I'll leave it at that. I mean, each one of them is worth its own podcast probably.
0: But it, it starts to sound pretty scary when you put all of those things together. Hannah, how else can this human motion print uh, be applied to other parts of society? For example, can it can it really be used, as you've written, for pre-crime, the sort of prediction of uh, criminal intent?
1: Yes, and first of all, I just must add to Chris' brilliant comments just now, because since 2021... Apps like TikTok has been including gathering face print and voice print. So if you add that to motion data, you have so much data. And if we back the band a bit until 2016, 2017. Everybody was talking about big data and data points, but nobody could use them. Nobody, everybody could just use small, small parts. And we know that Cambridge Analytica were using small, small parts of the big data to create the perfect campaigns to influence people. With all the data we've got today and the possibilities with AI to use all the data, we can learn so much more. So to question, Paul, it, how can we use this to prevent crime, for example? Well, I can use motion data to, to see how do you feel today? Are you angry? Are you happy? Where are you going? Why did you leave that bag in the train station? I think I'm going to react. Uh, I can look at... All the data we got, we also got the motion data from your face and how your pupils are moving. And a lot of devices, for example, where you, uh, the ATM where you take out your money or maybe some coffee machines as well, has cameras that are looking not everywhere. I don't want to scare anyone, but there are systems that got them. They can actually use this data to see, do you have a good day? Do you have a bad day? What do you need today? Or can I maybe in the future influence you? If I were using the prevention of crime, I would use this data to prevent, for example, crimes in the subway or on an airport where it are common high security and we are pretty afraid of bombs and and attacks of different sorts. You can learn the system, how a person should walk and move in the society and how a person that is very hostile and have a lot of anger in their body, how they move. But the system can be fooled. And I actually did some tests about this in 2019. We were using motion data. And during that test, for example, there was a subway involved. And there was a guy sitting on the subway and the system were recording. This guy is very hostile. He has a big bag. He's sweating a lot. And and the guards were taking him in the next station. This test was was not done in Europe. It was done in, in Asia, just so you know. And the guards took him out in the next stations and they said, uh, put down your bag, do you have a bomb? Uh, and this was a student, he was away going to the university, he had a big exam and he was sitting there sweating because he, he was really nervous about his exam and had all his books with him. So the system is not perfect in any way, but it's scary because I think there is a risk that we want to use it to prevent crimes, to prevent bad situation, which is good but it can also be fooled.
0: So are you saying these sorts of systems should be banned or should they be regulated? And how can one regulate such a system, uh, uh, Hannah?
1: Uh, well, now we come to these uh, decision makers and how to regulate things. I think there's a regulation uh, need to be done. Uh, my biggest worry is that most decision makers in high levels in the world are digital tourists. They're making decision about the digital native's future and they don't know what they're talking about. In the worst cases is when they make too much regulation so we can't use the advantages in the systems. But uh, most of the times they, they are just so afraid so they ask the wrong questions. We need regulations. The systems can be used for so many good things. I mean, motion, data, just, just, just to motion your brain, just think about motion data in healthcare for example you can use motion data to see well this 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 client maybe had had a stroke or uh, maybe have a neurologic disease that you can't see with your eyes so you can use it so, so much good but you have to have regulation who is allowed to create systems that collect motion data where is the motion data stored how do we prevent anyone from misusing motion data in the future i mean it feels really good to use motion data in healthcare and an open democratic society to control, for example, decrease the risk of terrorist crime or something like that. But it feels really, really scary when you go to a country that's not an open democracy, you come to a dictatorship, a a government that wants to control their their population. That's also very possible to do. So there's so many good and scary things at the same time and there needs regulation. And we need like having a crash course for decision makers. How does this system work and how can we
0: use it for good? Thanks, Chris, You know, coming back to what you mentioned earlier, um, conversational AI, why is that such a concern?
2: Conversational AI, I think to understand it in security terms, well, first conversational AI is simply a type of technology that enables real-time engagement between an AI system and a person. So it allows us to talk to a computer. And for it to talk to us um and so if we stop let's park it there quickly and think about disinformation in recent years in the digital age so you have the ability to put um messages out to people different narratives you have sort of very clumsy chat bots or or people who don't even speak the language of the the target they're trying to go after with their disinformation it's clumsy it's clunky You can kind of say, you know, the average person with any critical thinking can say, yeah, that that sounds like a bot or we like to think we could. And so, you know, we we have all these brilliant people out there working on, uh, uh, you know, detecting disinformation, uh, debunking all these things on current platforms. And that's that's fantastic work and they need to keep doing it. But what will change with conversational AI in the next 12 to 24 months is that, as I mentioned earlier, if there's a miniature Truman show for each of us through persistent micro-targeted manipulation, what that means is that you have this capability, and, and Hannah mentioned a bit of this, but you have the ability of AI to manipulate, uh, let's just say it's to buy a certain brand of ice cream and you in know, Belgium for whatever, the ability to um, engage with you in conversation, to take the feedback from how you respond to that message and to perfect the message, to perfect the approach, to see how you respond to it, not only vocally, but the motion of your body, the dilation of the pupils of your eyes, micro-expressions on the face. Uh, You can have subtle changes in the blood flow patterns in the face that indicate how you emotionally respond to something. So what, what we're looking at is a very near future where conversational AI can be, can be more perceptive of our inner feelings than any human interlocutor, and now put that tool in the hands of a big company trying to sell us something, or a malign state actor, or even our own governments that may say we want good obedient little citizens, and you can start to see where you know where this. It becomes a concern. So I think, in many ways, conversational AI could be the perfect manipulation tool if we don't regulate it now. I mean, this is definitely one of those technologies that we cannot sort of let get out into into society and then you know and then decide to to regulate it. We need to regulate these things now.
0: Okay, well, let's uh, talk about that. Um, you know, you you were one of the signatories, I think, of uh, this petition. Uh, that was published uh, uh, last month. That called for uh, a, a six-month pause uh, in all of this AI development uh, in order to think about um, regulation and what we do. It, how how do you pause uh, development? I mean, it's sort of one of these things. It's going on in people's head. It's going on in labs. You know what? I mean, uh, it, it kind of defeats me to imagine how you would do that. Hannah, what do you think?
1: Well, uh, I, I'm not sure how to pause the development because everybody is so into this and they want to try it and see how it works. But I think we need to do something and we need to increase knowledge. Because all the systems, if you look at the uh, systems that are online and accessible for everybody, just because you ask the system something doesn't mean it's, it's a one-time event. The system is gathering data all the time. Everything you put in is going to be saved and used to create better answers. That's the, the basic of artificial intelligence. It, it learns from the more data you got, the better system the system is going to be. So, for example, I had a student who called me and said, well, I, I was using an AI to to produce my, 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 my article. Do you think my, my professor will see that it's made by a system? And I said, well, uh, he he or she won't see that. But if he or she asks the system, did you write this? It's going to answer, yes, I did. I did write it last Wednesday. Uh, so uh, the data is going to be stored for all future. So we have to understand how these systems work. I mean, we still have people out there who think when I Google something, it's just a one time event. What do you think a search engine and then I talking about Google is a pretty old school system, but it's still learning all the time. Everything we do online creates a lot of data points, a lot of data that are being collected and gathered. And we have not seen the result in a long way on, on how artificial intelligence gathering from so many people, what the effect will be in the end. So I think we should just take a break and look at, okay, what effect does this going to have on society? What do we need to control and how do we need to educate the public on how does this system work?
0: Chris, um, what, you know, first of all, how would we pause? And secondly, what would we what would you want to do during such a pause?
2: Thank you, Paul. I think the simple answer on how you do a pause is it would have to be voluntary by companies like OpenAI who are training GPT-5 right now to pause. Um, and, I, and I'm not sure if they'll want to do it, but I, I think this is let's 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 look at it from a European perspective at this you know, as we should here at Friends of Europe, and that is, you know, within the next 12 to 18 months, these new Generative AI, so ChatGPT is a genitor, genitor of AI and conversational AI, separate kind, are both going to be coming online, will be available. Um, you know, Microsoft wants to put them in their office products, all these sorts of things in, in the very near future. <laughs> and um, this is coming at a time when the EU's own AI Act, as flawed as it is, will not yet be in force, nor taking a, a an initial look at what it contains and what these new technologies can do, nor will it be sufficient. So, you know, too little, The a, as far as I could tell, the AI Act right now, as it stands, will be too little too late to properly address these concerns. And a lot of the, the you know, and, and it's not a knock on the people who've been developing it. It's just that the technology is moving so fast. A lot A lot of the AI Act was designed for a time of GPT-1 and 2, and maybe even 3. We're on 4, about to be 5. And each one is a great leap in capability uh, that we don't quite understand. And I think for me, um, when it comes to the pause, I think there are two main questions for the EU and member state governments. And that is, firstly, are we ready to grant so much power to systems we don't yet fully understand? And secondly, can the EU and member state governments quickly agree on a new set of regulatory guardrails to protect democracy and human agency and implement meaningful monitoring and enforcement measures before GPT-5 or some other next generation system is released to the world? If not, I think, and that's a tall order, look how long it takes to get the Digital Services Act or the AI Act or anything, right? It's democracy is messy and slow. So if, if we can't do that, in the next six or seven months then it's time for the not only the eu but the us japan uk korea canada australia um and other democracies and, and other nations around the world to call a timeout on ai development so that governance can catch up so that we can understand it understand the there, i mean there are significant legal challenges to enforce monitoring and enforcing any kind of even if the ai act was sufficient uh The enforcement and monitoring measures are, you know, their ability to to be up to speed or to be able to sort of pass muster in our legal environments remains to be seen. There's still much we don't know. And so I think this is why we're calling for the pause, because it's either we speed up our ability to understand and regulate or we take a pause.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like we have a situation where legislation is running worryingly behind technological development and where facts are going to be created before we have the tools in place to potentially prohibit them, or at least to regulate them. Uh, Hannah, how do we catch up, or can we catch up, especially what you said about most politicians being and regulators being digital tourists?
1: Oh, that's a really good question, Paul. Uh, I'm not sure if we can catch up. I mean, we need like a credit for, for every decision maker, how technology works. I mean, they don't understand the yesterday technology. How are they going to understand today's technology and the future technology? So uh, we have to increase knowledge. That's the basic first step, because... Uh, most tech people, I mean, I come from a, from a tech background, most tech people speak very difficult language. It's a lot of numbers and, and science when they're talking and a lot of expressions that are really hard to understand. So uh, I think they need a basic crash course in how the system works and they need to exercise the brain. What could happen? Maybe do this like a future crisis exercise and say, okay, what do we do when the public had created so much information about society that is being used to, instead it's going to be used against us. How are we gonna handle that? What if uh, a an, an harmful force of some kind, another state or whatever, take this information and use it? Because it's going to be so much data in one point and with artificial intelligence, we can actually use all the data. And that is super powerful. And as Chris said, you can manipulate people's opinion with using this information and you can do it in real time almost. You know, the old times uh, fake news is nothing about the future video clip that is made just for you in this second, with this news, with this background, this feeling, this music, and you're gonna feel that, oh my God, I need to do something. I need to burn down a cell tower, or I need to go out and start a riot because I see get this information to me. So this custom-made influence is going to be the future, and I hope really, really much that no uh, troll farm boss is really working with artificial intelligence today. But they're probably going to do that because they can use both images. I mean, I don't know if you played with the film. It's pretty fun. I mean, you can ask the system, uh, there are systems that we can, ask: can you produce a film Well, where, where you can see Donald Trump is being arrested by the FBI and the system is making a film that it looks really real? Uh, or can you make a film that looks like elephants are flying over the park And the system does a film where elephants are flying over the park? So I don't think we understand the effects.
0: Well, thank you very much, Hannah. We've come to the end for today's Frankly Speaking podcast, but I have to say that I think elephants will be flying over the park before I understand all of the technologies that you just described. So please sign me up for that course for uh, decision makers, even though the good news is that I'm no longer a decision maker. Thank you, Hannah Linderstahl. Thank you, Chris Cremitas courtney And we'll be back uh, soon on the Friends of Europe Frankly Speaking podcast. But for now, goodbye for this week
2: we'll leave it there for today. If you haven't already, consider subscribing to the Frankly Speaking Podcast newsletter or following us on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Facebook. And if you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a review or a rating as it truly helps us reach more curious minds like yours. And don't forget to tune in again this time next week.